previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I did get away for a little bit. I went to the beach How was for your a trip, man? Hey, I got a little sunburn, man, on my shoulder. Did you I, take your shirt off? I did. What? Of course I did. You man, been look. working out, man. No, I not had, but hey, I'm all man. Whatever I am, I'm all man. Hey, man, you been working? <laughs> Dev went to the beach, oh, yeah, took his shirt it. off. When I was young, man, and I was really in shape, man, I was a, quite an exhibitionist, man. I never had clothes on, man. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new technique and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. We're getting ready to have a live special. That's what we were trying to say. You got to walk on. Walk on. Walk on. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. To reach Devin Wade with a question or comment, follow him on Twitter at Wade's be a part of the group on Facebook by joining the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group or liking the page. Welcome to episode 62 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. And what a fun, fun edition we have for you. And it's a very exciting one for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is we have a visit with Texas Southern University Athletic Director, Dr. Charles McClellan, and he will talk about all things HBCU, his new hire of a basketball coach at Texas Southern University, and all things as it pertains to sort of mid-major conferences and the struggles that come with being a HBCU athletic director. Also, this edition, we will have Biscuit. He will jump in for a segment. And we have Kalina. She's back from her world travels, uh, at least for a little bit. And we're going to hear from her. We have a number of segments coming up, including a little bit of headlines. We're going to hit you with some balling or falling. We're going to hit you with some sports e. And then we will have a interview with Dr. Charles McClellan, and that will be followed by birthdays, the Lamont Award, and Before I Let Go. So with that, want to bring in the world traveler, the globe trotter, Kalina. How are you this this edition, Kalina? I'm well. Thanks for having me back, Devin. As always. Well, I'll tell you what. This is a very special edition. This is the first edition. That is going to be on KTSURadio.com. Yeah. That's my home radio station. That's the flagship. And so we have KTSU Sports Talk every Saturday. But now the podcast, in addition to being available on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, will be available on KTSURadio.com. So that's a big, big deal. So I want to welcome all my KTSU folks who listen to me every Saturday or every Friday inside of the Friday Express Certainly appreciate you guys checking out the podcast. And if you have not heard it before, you can go back and listen to the archived editions on SoundCloud, on TuneIn, on iTunes, Google Play. Please comment, subscribe, send us some messages. You can tweet me at Wade's Word, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. Or you can join the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group or like the fan page, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade fan page. We invite you guys to participate in whatever way you can. We have some special things coming up, including some remotes. Some remotes I'm still working on, Kalina. Still working on. Now that you are back, we can solidify those things. Okay, now that I'm back. That's good. Because I always, (laughs) you know, you are my other half when it comes to those sorts of things. Yes. You are my organizer. You are my... Chief of staff, <laughs> and not that I'm able to pay you nearly what you are worth, 
but you helped harness all of this creative energy that I have into something that is tangible. So that's been missing because you've been in Belize. That brings me to a segment that we call Brand New. Now, Brand New is just something random, not even sports-related, that has been going on in our lives. You've been missing for a couple of episodes. Talk about where you've been. Yeah, I uh, I went to Belize with my uh, mom and my stepdad uh, for a company trip, and uh, it was great. It was much needed. I took a nice little break from acting and got to take day naps. Did you all know that day naps are a thing? That's lovely. Yeah, I think some people know about day naps <laughs> at work. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got to swim with the sharks, and then the weekend after that, I went to Austin and Got to enjoy the lovely weather up there. And then last weekend, I was in Chicago for a work trip. So I've just been ripping and running, but I think I am Houston-bound for a while, for a bit. Oh, that's good. And so we're glad that you are back. Uh, We pressed on without you. And now, like I said, we have an even broader audience, so we certainly appreciate that. For me, it's sort of been an up-and-down week, okay? Okay. We lost Joe Jackson this week. Now, what's the significance? Now, it's not nearly as devastating as it was the, the death of Michael Jackson. Of course, yeah. But, and Joe lived a full life. He was 89 years old. But he is a lightning rod for a lot of folks on social media, yeah. on Twitter. They were killing him as a child abuser and all of those things. But let me say this. And, and again, I'll address the child abuse stuff, too. I will say this. Never has any one man's loins produced so oh many platinum records. <laughs> this dude, That's true. This dude, think about this. This dude, no one has created more number one records than Joe Jackson. Because think about this. And whipped them into submission. Well, and, and I want to talk about that, too. Let's talk about, not only do you have the king of pop. Michael Jackson, the mm-hmm. the most fascinating entertainer that I'll probably see in my lifetime. I sure. can't imagine, because of how the world is, I cannot imagine someone else really captivating the entire world. They, they may be, like Beyonce is, is, I'm sure, has exposure to millions more people because the population, world population has increased. Sure. But she will not dominate the world like Michael Jackson did in 83. People will not be crying over her like they they did for Michael. Yeah, you'll have your people from the Beehive that will. But, but by and large, no one ever, I can't imagine. You know, you had the Beatles, Elvis, and Mike. Yeah. And, and I just can't not imagine someone being bigger. We've had some talented people come through. You know, Chris Browns of the world, Usher, whatever, whatever, Justin Timberlake. Right. Nobody's going to captivate the world. Beyonce is the closest thing, but no one will captivate the world like Mike did. So not only did he produce him in a night of passion, <laughs> But you you had Janet, the baby girl. But not only did you have Janet, you had Jermaine. Jermaine was the first one to go solo and have some success. But not only did you have Michael, Janet, Jermaine, you had Reby with Centipede. And not only did you have Michael, Reby, Jermaine, Janet, you got a hit record. Not a hit record, but you had some success. With Marlon Jackson, which I played last night in the Friday Express, which we, I think. The, I think your love of music is getting you into some deep cuts. Yeah, like. yeah, we're going way <laughs> onto the B side. We're talking about Marlon Jackson. But the point is, the man created a family. And, and I will say this. Obviously, I do not advocate child abuse. Don't, I think the, the, I think the, the operative thing is what constitutes child abuse. Because I think some people, no, no, no. I think some people would think the way I was raised was child abuse. I mean, I got whoopings, but not, they get beatings. 
Right. So, you know, without being, and obviously Michael said that he was abused, and some of the stuff that, that is alleged is awful. But one thing you're going to say about that family is you've never had a drug scandal in that family. You've never had anybody in that family go to jail. This is a huge family from Gary, Indiana. Do you know how hood Gary, Indiana is? I don't. Gary, but- Indiana is is the hood of really... My understanding is not it's right on the outskirts of Chicago, and it is terrible. And nothing good comes out of Gary, Indiana, but the Jacksons. Okay, but let me t- like step back two seconds. I think you're forgetting the pedophilia allegation. What, what? against Michael Jackson? That, against Michael Jackson? Oh no, the, the, no. allegations. Yeah. I'm not saying it happened. I'm just saying there are allegations. So you're like you're you're like oh, there's no drugs, you know this and that. Cool. There were allegations of child uh, of okay. So now you're going to get me upset. What do you mean? Because you're the one that brought it up. You brought no, it up. No, there's no way in the world I believe that Michael Jackson touched those kids. Any I those didn't kids. say all that, but you you said there weren't any scandal. There was scandal, well, to be fair. I mean, first of all, the man was rich and famous, and he was a victim of his fame and his innocence. So, no, Mike did not oh, do wow. that. Oh, wow. That's so. <laughs> Uh, uh, allegations of <laughs> you. I mean, they said that he had the elephant man's bone. Well, he might have had that, but I mean, See? They, but they say all I, kind of things, and we don't know what, what what's true. But I don't think for one minute, and that case was dismissed. So or it was dismissed. He was acquitted or whatever. I'm just saying there was a little bit of scandal, whether or not it and it was dismissed. You there got, you go. Look, look, you got 25 black kids from one family, and that's it. An allegation that was that was resolved in the court of law. So I'm not saying that he's justified in beating his children, but if not for his strong influence, no. I, I, and let's cut it off at abuse because abuse is wrong. And and again, I, I would never. But if in the black community, especially, it's a relative term. We saw Adrian Peterson get yes. caught up with that. Some people believe that you should not spank children. Funny thing, my mother sort of evolved into that, but that was after I had all my whoopings. <laughs> so you, now you want to not whoop people? My father, he never whipped me in anger. Yeah. He waited, caught his breath, and took his time. And he had, <laughs> he had a belt, and the belt was named Big D. Oh, well. So I would, mm-hmm. I would, and he didn't believe in extension cords. I did get a switch a little bit, but not really. It was mostly with the belt. And the belt was named Big D. And it was one of the big old country belts with his name on it. Oh, I, no. I, yeah, and it was a big old leather belt. And he would say, all right, go get me Big D. So I have to go get Big D the belt. And, and then he would, you know, give me my punishment. But he was measured. Mm-hmm. And always in control. My, my mother one time was out of control, but for the most part, they would sit me down and explain to me. It usually was something either pertaining to personal danger or some school stuff, mm-hmm. which um, you know, I was infamous for. School stuff. <laughs> oh no! School stuff was always the issue. <laughs> Every year was a some school stuff. So, so but, twelve uh, years of. Uh... Of spankings, huh? Well, no, I mean, it, I mean, obviously we got older and it didn't have to continue. But, <laughs> but you don't know this, and you're young. But we, got, I got popped in school. I, we got mm-hmm. paddles in school. My mother's a school teacher. Paddle. Uh, well, she she used the the ruler in the hand thing. Look, it was a thing. You you and Miss Utley, you went to at Kelso Elementary School. If you went Miss Utley's class and you didn't do your homework, and she told you you, it was gonna happen. But I say all that to say, and we that's a debatable thing, and that's too broad and too important to have that discussion on sports talk 
But I will say this. If Joe Jackson had not had a stern hand, or you know, if he had been loosey-goosey like some of the modern parents, Michael Jackson wouldn't be the king of pop. He'd be Lil' Mike. You know Lil' Mike work at, at the post office. <laughs> and Janet would be, you know, she'd have seven or eight kids of her own, and she'd be, you know, she'd be eating Takis and drinking Mountain Dew. And <laughs> so, oh, my God. So, again, what he did for his family uh, he said he wanted to make sure he kept them off the streets and he wanted to make sure that he knew where they were at all times. They did that. And again, some of the more sort of heinous infractions are, are just deplorable and he's wrong for that. And he should be punished as such. But if you look at the bottom line, he created uh, generational wealth for his family and he got him out of the hood of Gary, Indiana. So also, are you a fan of selfies? Are you a big selfies person? I'm not a big selfies person, um, but yes, I do do selfies. You do selfies. Well, yeah. I'm about to have the ultimate selfie. Okay. Getting my colonoscopy. <laughs> and an endoscopy. Aye. So they're going to have a camera go through my throat and... <clears throat> A camera, I, 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 it's a camera through the other end. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you, and maybe I, can I put those on Instagram? Yes, you can. <laughs> I Give them to me, and I will uh, filter them, and I will put them on our page. So that's the ultimate <laughs> selfie. And the only reason, and that's happening, that's not, that's in a couple of weeks I'm having this done. And I'm really reluctant to do that because I had such a traumatic experience with my first prostate exam. But. The bottom line and the only reason why I mention this for a very serious reason, we have to have these things done. Absolutely. You have to have your checkups and it's not a very masculine thing to have to endure. But if you're a man, especially African-American men need to have this done starting, they change it. it used to be 50 now starting at 45. So yep. these things have to be done. And I just encourage anyone out there who is listening to, you know, go to your doctor, get these things done. It's a very inconvenient thing. It's not something you just want to do on a whim. You're like, oh, it's Tuesday. I think I'll get a colonoscopy. But the bottom line is they can catch colorectal cancer pretty early and it's survivable. Yeah. If, if The problem with us traditionally is that we don't go for, for various reasons. Some financial, some just uh, a stigma attached. And we don't go and we find out too late and then there's a problem. Same thing with prostate exams. Because of the test itself or how they conduct the test, it's not a fun, fun thing to deal with. Oh and no, it's not. It's, I'm sure it's not. And go get a woman doctor so you're a little bit eased there and go do it. We have stuff shoved up us all the time. You can go do it once every how long? I think it's five years. I think once I do once it now, I got five years. years. I'm good on a colonoscopy. But again, for this is my public service announcement for for health reasons. Yes. This is the thing that we need to to do for our own health. So wish me luck with, with all of that. I will tell you this. I had a very traumatic Well, I won't tell you. One day, and I guess you guys can ask for if you want to hear I the mean, ode I hear it. to my first prostate exam, you certainly can. Well, now, I will tell you, if he does that, I will tell you about my pap smear in Uganda. <laughs> Those are two things that do not go together. I don't know what you did in your life. That you had to have a pap smear done hey. in Uganda. But well, it is what it is. But with that, want to get into some headlines. Well, hey, the big story this week, it is all about two things. Jameis Winston getting suspended for three games for his groping of a female Uber driver back in 2016. 
a lot of people are wanting him cut. A lot of people think that he should be out of the league for longer than that. He's made a public apology. And the thing about that is I think that that entire thing was negotiated. But Biscuit and I coming up a little bit later, we'll talk more about that. And we will also talk about the major story in the world of sports, and that is the LeBron decision part three. Now, he opted out of his contract, so now he's an unrestricted free agent, and now we watch and we wait. We have already know that he's tried to recruit Kevin Durant to come play with him. The question is, will he be playing in L.A.? Or will he go back to Cleveland? He could, or uh, outside possibility of him playing for the 76ers. Want to get your thoughts on that? You can hit me up on Facebook and give me your thoughts about where LeBron should go or will go. And this thing will probably be settled here in the next few days. So even by the time you hear this, he may have made a a major decision. Um, But the other part of that is Kawhi Leonard, what is going to happen with him in San Antonio, and also what's going to happen with Paul George. Now, those three things are a big, big deal. My uh, counterpart, the Silver Fox, Kevin Allen, he more than hates this entire process. But, you know, the reality is he's the Tom Brady of the NBA. So he's not quite Michael Jordan, but just to, if you think about this, if Tom Brady was changing teams every year, that would be the only story. A lot of people resent the fact that LeBron takes up so much space and so much room and so much airtime with these decisions. But the reality is it matters. If he comes to LA, it makes the West tremendously more competitive and it really serves notice to Golden State that they have a challenge, especially and probably only if he's able to bring someone with him. The Rockets will have to rethink what they're doing if he goes to L.A. Conversely, if he remains in the East, you have to say that if they add a part or two, that they are favored again to run the Eastern Conference. So this affects people in Boston, Philadelphia, Houston, and the Bay Area. It affects all of these people and even more, San Antonio, uh, Oklahoma City, because maybe Paul George doesn't want to play with LeBron and will go back to Oklahoma City. A lot of moving parts here. We'll have to see what happens in the days coming forward. A little bit later, we will talk about all of those things. But right now, I want to get into a segment that we call Sports E. This week in Sports E. Entertainment. Yeah, so... Dikembe Mutombo. He has a son. Have you heard of him? Ryan? No, Ryan I have a, a, I almost got into a fist fight with Dikembe Mutombo many years back. I feel like... I don't think he knew he was that close to a fist fight. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was a thing. <laughs> well, and he's seven, like seven, two. Yeah, the man is a giant. Well, he has a giant son. His name's Ryan Mutombo. He's 15 years old and he's 6'9", already making some waves in uh, prep basketball. And so TMZ Sports asked Matumbo uh, Sr., so would you be interested in getting your son and LeBron James Jr. together and doing like a little super, super team, second generation super team? And he said, yes, as long as they can go to Georgetown. And so they asked little Matumbo and they said, uh, so where do you want to go? And immediately he's like, North Carolina. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just ignore the, the Georgetown. Oh, yeah. Thing. And uh, to that response, 
dad did the infamous finger wag at that. So, no, 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 no. Yep. So we'll have to see. We have a long time to wait to see where Ryan and Jez go. Well, I will say this. I'm glad I didn't have a physical altercation with the Kimbe Mutombo because he is a first-class world citizen. He's done so much for so many people, including here in the greater Houston area. He's a great, great guy. And what happened back in 95, we'll leave you back in 95. He knows what he did. <laughs> and I'm sure he's listening and will want to follow up on that. Adrian Broner, the boxing star, he was recently seen at a gentleman's club called The Office in Miami on Thursday. And if you look at any of these pictures, he is holding stacks of cash. And just by looking at it, it's about $50,000 to $100,000. And he is throwing it up in the air to all of the ladies. And the person, he this is on video, by the way. And the person that's holding the video was like, please, just, just take it easy with his money. And he doesn't. So, uh, what would you do with 50 or 100K? Well, it ain't no damn way I'm throwing $100,000 at a woman. <laughs> Unless it's in court law and a lawyer says, the judge said I had to pay that <laughs> in a divorce settlement or something. But that's, and we've had this thing, this whole phenomenon of making it rain. This is not a new thing. It's a, it's the craziest thing ever in life. And I can elaborate on that. But, you know, no one in the world expects he can win seven championships. No one in the world expects Adrian Broner to have money past three and a half years after he retires. Yeah. <laughs> so he wants to be Lil Mayweather, and he's doing his Mayweather thing. But it's ridiculous, and it's stupid, and it makes people... Look, we have starving children in the world, and I can't tell this man what to do with his money. Because strippers got to eat, too, I guess. Yes, so, absolutely. But, you know, come on. Really? And this really makes people resentful. And, and I know that, you know, you do it. You're a grown man. You put your body and your, your life on the line to go into the ring to earn his money. You can do whatever you want. But don't expect me to respect the, your decisions because that is just ignorant. Well, let's look at it another way. Ladies, if you're looking for a second job or a primary job, move over to Miami and go get hired by this strip club. Cause that's where all. Oh the man, this in all of them. They all make it rain. The dope boys, everybody, they make, they all make it rain. So it, it's out there. Yeah, you, you can you can get paid. I mean, you've never seen. Well, maybe you haven't. But the the, <laughs> the trash bags full of cash. It may it'll make a lot of women rethink the, uh, their career decisions. Unfortunately, but you know. absolutely. And so finally, we have Bob Baffert. Bob Baffert is the trainer, the legendary horse trainer of American Pharaoh and recent Triple Crown winner justify he revealed what justifies reward is for winning the triple crown and that is lady horses so it turns out that he will be procreating many little horses i don't know what little horses are called um this weekend and furthermore and you know obviously that is to make bafford some money he's um selling justifies essence Essence. That's the, that's the word I use. Yes. We talked about Joe Jackson's essence. <laughs> this is, hey, you know, really, if, if you would have done, hey, look, if you would have done with Joe Jackson what they uh, what they do with these Triple Crown winning horses, you would have a problem. You know, your top 40 choice would be filled with little Joe Jackson. Yes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. And so they're, uh, right now, Justify is breeding. And so this is good news for us because we may have a new American Pharaoh or Justify coming in the works. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with how much the stud services or the stud fees Huge. are. So, like, 
Okay, so this is how this is what thoroughbreds. What they do is when you're a triple crown winner, you've heard the term "put out the stud." Mm -hmm. So what they do is that you they literally pay to procreate with justify and so he will spend the rest of his days mating yeah <laughs> whenever he can however he can i don't know what i mean i don't know what viagra for horses is but whatever it is they'll have it on him and i mean and this a a billion dollar industry and so bob Baffert is the greatest at that and so yeah justify gets to to go out and stud but Baffert has pocketed millions and millions and millions of dollars on him and American Pharaoh. And will continue and, oh, to, yeah. yeah. He, he's that dude when it comes to horse racing. I wish, um, why can't human life be like that? Like, once I go and do, I retire, I just go out to stud. <laughs> Is that what you want? <laughs> I, why not? I, I'm, I'm sure you could. Well, <laughs> <laughs> if that's the decision you want to make. Now, I mean, we have a name for that when humans sell themselves <laughs> for money. I don't know if you're aware of that term. It's the oldest profession in the world. But so no, but I, I want it to be like justify, quick. not like that. Yeah, I don't think you thought that through real clearly before you said it. So with that coming up, balling or falling with Biscuit. This is episode 62 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Salut. Je n'ai aucune idée de la raison pour laquelle Devan m'a demandé de faire ça, surtout que la majorité d'entre vous n'ont pas la moindre idée de ce que je dis. Mais bon, j'adore écouter Kalina, le Silver Fox et Devan sur le podcast de Sports Talk Devan Wade. A plus It's Shelly Wade and welcome back to Sports Talk with Devin Wade. Episode 62 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Now, initially, we were going to bring in Biscuit to do a ball and a falling segment, but a lot has developed since we started episode 62. Most importantly, LeBron Watch Part 3 is over. LeBron is now a Los Angeles Laker, and I, for one, I'm a little bit surprised in a way that he did opt to play for the Lakers but it looks like that they are planning on a more long term a plan for success and for LeBron James but he signs a four year $153 million deal close to $154 million deal want to get your thoughts on LeBron watch 20 uh, 2018 uh, yeah this is a decision 3.0 uh, I mean at least Magic Johnson gets to keep his job now he, he signed a major major free agent I I don't think he was um, worried. <laughs> I don't think he was worried. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, he, he said that if he didn't sign a major free agent, he, he was going to retire. So, but we see, we, I mean, LeBron going to, to Los Angeles isn't really a, a really big surprise. I mean, you think, you think about all the things that he has going on, all the things that he's trying to get into as far as business wise, uh, his children coming up, you know, playing high school basketball pretty soon in the next couple years and, and having that exposure. I mean, it makes sense for him uh, business wise um the team is i mean the team has some work but uh he, he can bring some of that mystique back some of that laker magic back and and maybe try to do some things i, I know they signed uh 
a couple of other pieces. Um, nothing major, I don't think, that's really going to solidify the team. I think they still need uh, that Kawhi Leonard deal to come through for them to really be a major player uh, in the West. Um, but I think him by himself, this 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 ain't your same old LeBron and on the East on the East Coast on the East side of the, uh, of the ledger. He's going to have to go through the Rockets. He's going to have to go through Golden State. He's going to go have to go through uh, Oklahoma City. Paul George signed back with Oklahoma City. So I mean, th- this this is going to be brutal. It's going to be hard. You got the young young Bucks and and Utah. Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year, as I said earlier. I predicted that. I wanted to throw that back in your face. You know, he's got to go against up all these guys. And yes, he's a great player. And but it, this ain't the East. Well, and it's not, and that's one reason why I didn't think that he would venture into the West. I thought that there was deep waters in the Western Conference. Really, it, the the Eastern Conference is relegated to being the, the D League. I mean, not a lot left of it. it. I mean, it opens up a lot of things from a competitive standpoint to see who will represent the East in the finals. Uh, but, it, I mean, that is a devastating blow to the Eastern Conference. But that aside, I think, this deal is more of a long-term situation. When you sign, see that they're signing all these guys to these one-year deals, JaVale McGee, one-year deal, uh, Lance Stevenson, a one-year deal, Contavious Caldwell Pope to a one-year deal. So when you do all of these things, you are anticipating that. And you're acquiring these assets, so if you have to ship somebody out for a Kawhi deal, they say the Lakers are going to give that situation a couple days before they decide or to give up on trying to get Kawhi Leonard. But my whole thing about all of that is is that if I'm San Antonio, there's no way I would trade him. The, even if I know he'll end up there next year, I'm shipping you to the Eastern Conference, and so we have to see what team in the East can come up with a good deal. I wouldn't just hand them the title like that. And not to say well, that I mean, this can going to happen do, either, anyway. Team, though. You got to do what's best best for your team. What's in the best interest? I mean, if the Lakers are offering the best assets, yeah, I mean they're they're in the same conference. But I mean, you got to do what's best for your team going forward. I mean, would you do the trade now? Or would you wait? Because I would wait. I would wait. I'm, I'm. I would wait. I really would. I wouldn't do it now. Why? Why? What? What's the thing behind waiting? Well, a couple of things. Maybe you can mend fences, and maybe the deal at the deadline can be even better if somebody feels like they really want to make that push. The thing, keep in mind that the uh, trade deadline is moved up to January before the All Star break. So you know, why not wait? I don't know that Kawhi you're going to get the best Kawhi deal now. Kawhi Leonard strikes me as a guy that holds on to a grudge. I mean, he still well, has corn rolls from 1997. <laughs> so I, he holds on to things, obviously. So he's not going to let this go. Whatever the issue is, whatever the problem is he has with the Spurs, isn't going away. So get rid of him now. As you know, now that you can get some assets for him, uh, cut bait and keep it moving. I don't know. I, I, you, I, again, I don't know the, the guy, and I don't think that we have any insight into his mentality other than what statements are being released on his behalf. But I will say this. There has to be a way to reach him. Because, again, none of these moves are really in his best interest. Honestly, he's given up. He'll give up $31 million in a trade. As a you know, so he can't get super max deal from any other. You can't team. put a price on peace of mind, Devin. Oh yeah, but the it, will it be peace of mind? Think about this. You know, LeBron is the, a star killer. So he's think of what he's done to Chris Bosh. Think about what he did to Kevin Love. I mean, he yeah, lived, those are all big he men. bodies those are all, guys. Those, those are all big men. Those are all four. They're and they're Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> he bodies everybody. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was coming off an injury. Come mm-hmm. on, I mean. 
I think he can play. Him and Kawhi Leonard can play outstanding together. I would think because Kawhi can guard multiple positions and play multiple multiple positions. So can LeBron. You have more of a feel that Golden State kind of feel with that with that flexibility with with them being able to guard just about everybody. So uh, I think that that would be a crazy match if they both play defense. They both play the game the right way. They both effort uh, full on effort guys. Both freakishly athletic. Those two together would be outstanding. So if I were the Lakers, I would throw everything I could. I would have magic on the phone with Greg Popovich. I would have, you know, I'd pull every trick I had in the book to get Kawhi Leonard over to the Lakers. A lot of Laker fans that have been dormant are coming back to life as a result of this trade. Uh, How do you feel about seeing the Lakers sort of return to prominence and and be uh, front page news again? I'm not that excited about it. I'm not one of those, you know, L.A., New York guys that, you know, if L.A. and New York are doing well, then the league is doing well. I think we kind of passed that point. At least I would hope. Um, so I mean, it's 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 cool to a degree, but I don't. The Lakers haven't been that bad for that long for for me to really like. Oh, it's I'm been a while, man, and not even make the playoffs. It's been a while, and that's you know I, that's been a while. And, and like I said, I, I I do think it's better when those teams are better teams. I'm not a personal fan of of the franchise and the Knicks or or the Lakers. So, I'm, you know, I'm not thrilled about this entire deal and I would not do anything to accommodate them in their resurgence. Uh and I you know, we'll see what happens. I think that it feels like the Lakers are setting up for next year so they can hit, do a one-two punch and maybe resign themselves to the fact that, okay, we are what we are now if we can't get Kawhi. But if we do uh, get him this year, it's a bonus. But next year, for sure, we feel like we have the room, the cap space, and all the expiring one-year deals so we can we can easily get him in under the cap. So uh, any final thoughts that from your observations around uh, the first few hours Hours of uh, free agency? Uh, it's going quicker than I thought. I thought LeBron would wait a little bit longer. I thought Paul George would wait a little bit longer. I even thought Chris Paul would wait a little while longer. You know, I know on, as far as the Rockets is concerned, we, we lost Trevor Ariza, uh, but that gives us an opportunity to upgrade at the three position because, I mean, going 0 for 22 in, in, in the Western Conference Finals or 0 for 12 or whatever it was, it was really bad and really a detriment to my team. So hopefully we can upgrade at the position uh, here with the Rockets. With that, a uh, going to take a timeout and hear a word from our sponsor and a little bit of music from DJ Malone and come back with our conversation with Dr. Charles McClellan. This is episode 62 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. And now for the very first episode that you can uh, get this on KTSURadio.com. We'll be back. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. 
CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. My name is Caleb, and I listen to Sports Talk with Uncle Devon Ray and iTunes. Excited to be joined by Texas Southern University Athletic Director, Dr. Charles McClelland. And I wanted to bring you in, Dr. McClelland, to talk about a number of things, not the least of which is a brand new hire uh, for Texas Southern basketball. That is Coach Johnny Jones. Talk a little bit about the week that was for Texas Southern and bringing in Coach Johnny Jones, most notably of uh, LSU fame. Well, it was an exciting week for us, a stressful week. You know, Coach Davis left us eight championships for NCAA, four regular season championships out of 11 tries. You know, that's a remarkable feat. He had opportunity to go to D- Detroit Mercy. He made that transition, and it put us in a position where we had to search for a head basketball coach in June, which is not the most ideal time to try to bring in a head coach. Thankfully for Coach Davis, he did such a remarkable job that this position was one that a lot of people were interested in. We had about between 75 and 80 applicants. It took us about two, two and a half weeks to go through all of those, narrow down. Uh, We narrowed down to 11, and then that 11 to 5, and then that 5 to 1, which ultimately was Coach Johnny Jones. And what kind of sold us on uh, Coach Jones, again, he was head coach at Memphis. He was interim coach at Memphis for one year. Then he went to North Texas, took over a program that – had three wins the previous year. Uh, it took him about a couple of years, but he turned him around to a, a very prominent program in the Sun Belt at that particular time, beat a lot of SEC schools, a lot of Big 12 schools. I think he had 420-win seasons. Then he transitioned to LSU. LSU was relatively down. You know, you're never really down at those <laughs> SEC programs, but they were relatively down. Turned them around. And then his last couple of years there at LSU, he hit Rocky Road, you know, he had Ben Simmons, the, no, the number one overall pick uh, of the NBA draft. They didn't achieve what uh, most people thought that they were going to achieve in that following year. Which, totally- and, and people don't really understand this either. You're talking about coaches having to be successful at football schools. And that's a hard, that's a tall task. Very few schools are able to do that where they're successful both in football and basketball at the highest level. You look at schools like Alabama, they have continually struggled uh, as well. So it's a, I think people sort of think LSU, no, LSU football and LSU basketball are two different things. Well, but success is relative. Some people's success is national championship. Others' success is making it to the NCAA. Some, and more specifically for me, it's about SWAC championships. Right. 
I do want to get into the NCAA. I do want to advance. It was a good feeling this year. But we're not going to get there uh, at an at-large. We're only going to get there from an automatic birth. So I want to concentrate on somebody that has built solid programs. And for Johnny Jones, you know, the criticism, at least in my mind, that he got for having Ben Simmons and not achieving that ultimate goal is I look at Ben Simmons now. He's the rookie of the year. And in my opinion, I don't care if you had a red shirt year or not a red shirt year, he was the best rookie in the NBA. And he's a walking 14.10 rebound, 10 assist person. He was that same person at LSU. He's not LeBron James where you put it on your back and he's going to take you to the championship. Ben Simmons, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, is a walking triple-double, which makes him rookie of the year, which makes him freshman of the year in the SEC, which makes him an all-star. But he was never that guy, in my opinion, after watching him in the NBA that was going to be able to say, I'm going to take this entire program, which is a program, like you say, is more of a football school. We've been down, and in one year as a freshman, I'm going to beat all of these other superstar freshmen and win a national championship. But, again, that year they won 19 games. And some people say, well, they play all of the cupcakes at the beginning of the season, but the SEC is a tough league, has always been a tough league. And if that's the biggest knock on Coach Jones, then he's my guy. Now talk a little bit about the intricacies of being a sort of a mid-major conference, hiring a coach, especially an HBCU conference, hiring a head coach, sort of gathering your field of candidates. Talk a little bit about the differences, say, in – and you hiring a coach as opposed to maybe a Power 5 AD or a bigger mid-major, so to speak. What are are some of the differences so people can really understand what your challenges are? Well, the first difference and the most glaring difference is money, right? When you're at a Power (laughs) 5, you identify who you want, and then you just go pay them a bunch of money and come. For us, it's a lot more, and you use the word intricate. It's more intricate and a lot more detailed than just, identifying who's the hot name in collegiate basketball or football, for that matter, and paying them a bunch of money and come. For me, knowing that Coach Davis was a coach that coached at Indiana, had a Final Four run, coached at UAB, that if he came to Texas Southern University and he was successful, that he was going to have opportunities to step up and move on. So I always had a list in my desk drawer underneath the, you know, the tissue box that I could always pull out, take names out, and add names. So – You never want to be caught off guard. Uh, The rumor about Coach Davis leaving going to Detroit Mercy first hit me at the end of April. I was at the softball tournament. So we had probably six weeks or so to kind of prepare. If, in fact, it happened, we did everything within our power. Maybe Coach Davis doesn't think so because he he had a number. We couldn't get to that number. But we did everything that we felt within our power to be able to keep the program at a sustained level that we can afford. And because Detroit Mercy was a step up and was offering more money, it was more, most beneficial for Coach Davis and his family. We just couldn't get to where he needed to justify saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave money on the table to stay, but we couldn't get him to that point. So you know, we looked at our list. We looked at individuals that were out there. We actually made some additional calls. And then from that process, you had to really look at who can fit within Texas Southern program. And I've said this, we had three former head coaches in the NBA that were interested in Texas Southern University. 
So that says a lot about where this job is and and the notoriety that Coach Davis has brought up on this job. If you can go to the NCAA the last four to five years, that's that's a heck of a run. I think the only person that has done what Coach Davis has done with the regular season championships and tournament championships was Mark Few at Gonzaga. So we laid them all out. You know, you have to be thorough, but you have to be quick because we're in June heading into July. We had six individuals on campus in summer school. You had recruits that were decommitting. You had one that signed that asked for his letter of release. Everybody's panicking. The sky is falling, right? So you had to kind of move at a rapid pace, but at the same time you had to be thorough. It was beneficial to us, again, the way that Coach Davis left the program, that we had some outstanding, high-quality caliber coaches that we felt very comfortable with. So at that point it was a matter of interviewing, researching, background checks, narrowing that list down and then trying to pick who was going to be the right fit for Texas Southern. So, Coach, on the outside looking in, I mean, sort of always been my kind of opinion that you catch – when you talk about a conference like the SWAG and some of the, the smaller schools in Division One, you find coaches that are either young coaches on the way up or coaches who've been in the game for a while and kind of sort of want to settle down and, and find a, a home – this doesn't seem to be either one of those. It, am I right in that usually those are the kind of coaches that are most competitive or they seek these jobs the most? Absolutely. More specifically, the younger coaches trying to come up. And we're in a position where we are at the top of the food chain when it comes to basketball in our conference, right? So taking a chance for us, anytime you hire a head coach, you don't know what that head coach is going to do. You can do your research. You can look at their background. I always say you are who your record says you are. So for us, we felt that Coach Jones would be able to come in and win at a consistent level. There are some very good coaches in the Southwestern Athletic Conference. I'm not taking anything away. But if you look at the last 10 years or so, you have the SWAC is top heavy, and Texas Southern has been one of those top heavy teams. So it's been Texas Southern pretty consistently now for seven, eight years. Southern has been up there. And then, like, Grambling was this year. Pine Bluff was this year. Pine Bluff has had a couple. Alabama State. But it's generally Alcorn last year. But it's generally Texas Southern, Southern, and then maybe one more that's in there. So we kind of had to approach this thing not as a mid-major program, but we kind of had to approach this thing as if we were the top program in the league. So when Duke goes out and tries to replace Krzyzewski, they're probably not going to take a chance on uh, up and coming. They're probably going to get somebody that's proven that can continue to sustain the program. We took that similar approach, that this is a job that's no longer a swag job. This is a job that legitimate coaches are seeking. I didn't have to convince anybody. I tried to convince one. He didn't return my phone call. But you other than that, mention, no, it, well, I, I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave okay. it on this one. But. I didn't have to convince anybody. They were convinced that with our 86% six-year graduation rate, with our renovation of the facilities, with U of H playing here and everybody in the nation getting the opportunity to see Texas Southern's basketball arena in their locker rooms, that if it's good enough for U of H and Wichita State and Connecticut and, and uh, Arkansas, it's good enough for me as well. So we have some of the greatest facilities we outspend everybody. Our salaries are higher. We have more assistant coaches. 
you know, we give Pell Grant back on our uh, scholarships, which most of the other SWAC schools don't do. We travel first class. We eat first class. This is a legitimate basketball program. So when individuals such as Coach Jones saw that, they said, I can leave a Nevada where I am the associate head coach and probably will get another program at that FBS level if I just wait my time or I can go to Texas Southern University. And I said, I think that says a lot about the job for somebody to leave their relative comfort of this power five, all these resources and say, I want to come to Texas Southern University. So we approached it from that standpoint. Might be a little arrogant, might be a little pompous, but we are right now at the top of the food chain as it relates to basketball in our conference. And we wanted someone that was proven that it had the track record. No disrespect to anybody coming up, but I just don't think that we could afford to take a chance and miss. If we miss, it needed to have been with somebody that had a solid record, a solid reputation, because that's where our program was at the particular time. It seems like the pressure is on more than ever to be in a situation where you can't miss on any coach, whether it's football or basketball. And I talk about those because those are your revenue-producing sports. Well, that's true, and you're going to miss. Right. Nobody is going to be 100 percent. And you can be a great coach at this university and don't win at this institution. Doesn't have anything to do with your coaching knowledge. It's more about fit. And you hear me say a lot about fit. Once we narrowed down to the top five, we felt all five had the the coaching ability. It was the fit that we felt we needed. I say this about third ward. I've fallen in love with third ward. So is the rest of Houston. Right. right. I've fallen in love with Texas Southern University. Whatever you want, you can walk and get it, good or bad, right here in Third (laughs) Ward, right? There are a lot of people that can't handle Third Ward. I've hired some real good coaches that couldn't handle Third Ward, couldn't handle the city, couldn't handle all that's attached to having this position. So it's not just X's and O's. It's not just recruiting. It's a lot of other things that are involved. And as an athletics director, you try to go through and sift through to see if this person can fit with this, within this environment that Texas Southern offers. And that's probably the most difficult of can he coach or can he recruit. Now, Kevin Allen and I, the Silver Fox and I had this debate the other night. We were talking about the advantages of a Power 5 school what advantages come with that? Because he, he says, well, hey, no, you don't. That's not important in basketball. Anybody can win. Talk a little bit about the differences and what resources and what gives them an inherent advantage in, in a lot of situations. Well, I think, well, let me ask this in two phases because I'm not quite sure which one you're asking. As it relates to a Power 5 coach coming to Texas Southern and coach, I actually think that's a disadvantage. I think it's an adjustment coaching from LSU to Texas Southern. It's a it's an adjustment from being at Indiana and UAB to Texas Southern University. Is that adjustment being what? At the Power Five schools, you have the resources that you need in order to do everything that you want to do. At the HBCUs, it's more specifically at Texas Southern, you have all of the resources to do the things that you have to do. There's not a whole lot of wants that's out there. So to make that adjustment, to say, well, now I got to go do a class check versus I got all of the I got five academic people. I give you an example. U of H came over and they played their games here. They had a staff of about twenty in the basketball section to put those games on. 
So when we had the meetings, they was like, well, who do set up? Granger said, I do set up. They said, well, who does the uh, tickets? Granger said, well, I do the ticket. They said, well, who does the scheduling? Granger said, I do the schedule. They went down about six jobs with the people sitting in the room, and Granger was like, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Granger don't know any different, right? Because that's all Granger knows. That's all I know. But Johnny Jones knows different because he had 15 people to do what this one person is doing. And we find quite often that that's a huge adjustment. And you have to have the right temperament or you had to be like a Mike Davis and or Johnny Jones been in a similar situation, being able to thrive in that similar situation like he was at North Texas. Because when he was at North Texas, their budget is about where ours is now for basketball. So he kind of understands what this level is all about and what it takes. It would be difficult for, and I keep picking on Mike Krzyzewski, it'll be difficult for Mike Krzyzewski to come in the Southwestern Athletic Conference and be successful. He'd be one of the greatest coaches. But when he goes up against, uh, I was getting ready to call a team, I, I better not get in trouble. When he goes up against one of these swag teams that's not really running offense, that's going up and down the floor, shooting shots at half court and making them, and then you go to Mississippi Valley and they get to screaming on the microphone and they get to shooting from half court and the guy gets behind you and do the crit walk and the coach is looking <laughs> like, where in the world am I? That's the swag. We're gonna. We talked earlier about going to Southern and how they all came down playing. You know, we're in Scotlandville, Louisiana, and they was playing little Bootsy after we had an altercation. And our players are looking around like, "Man, are we gonna be able to get out of here?" <laughs> you know, that's the swag. You don't have that at Kentucky. Yeah, you have loud, rambunctious fans at Kentucky, but it's not like the swag. So you have to have somebody that understands the swag. Coming from a Power Five, in my opinion, coming to this level, it takes a lot of adjustment. And I always say it's easier to adjust up than it is to adjust down. I used to love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I don't eat peanut butter and jelly anymore, Devin. Right. And if I got to go back to eating peanut butter and jelly, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a tough time. Yeah. Now, one uh, one of the questions I've always had, and one of my goals being at Texas Southern all these years and and rooting for the program, being so invested in the program, is wanting to be a uh, a, in a conference that is a at least a uh, at large conference where you can get at least an at large, and it's just not an automatic bid only. What can the, in your opinion, what does the conference need to do so Texas Southern can win the regular season, maybe slip up in the semifinals, and still get a bid as opposed to only being a one bid conference? How can how can the SWAC get there, or or any other? HBCU conference like the MIAC. Had this conversation with Jason Cable. He is the uh, assistant vice president at Alcorn State. He's in athletics. And we talked about scheduling philosophy and what will it take in order for us to get out of being the last rated basketball conference. And the majority of it are these game guarantees. So Texas Southern strategically plays these game guarantees. This year we went 0-13, and, and when we came out of that 0-13, our RPI was somewhere around 81, 82, 83 with the 0-13. The year that we got the 15th seed, we ultimately had even a higher RPI. But when we start playing and beating teams that are at the bottom, uh, and this year it was Mississippi Valley, it was uh, Prairie View, it was Alabama A&M, it was Alabama State. So when you got five or six teams that are 350, 348, 347, even when you beat them, 
your RPI slips. So what we talked about, and Jason is really developing the model, and we talked about you need some data, you need some analytical data to be able to prove this, is to say, here's the model. You have RPI teams 1 through 50, 51 through 100, 101 through 150, 150 above. And then you start analyzing the SWAC teams because all of these teams are going to say, well, we need to play these game guarantees in order to make our money. So how do you allow them to play those game guarantees and make their money but positively impact your RPI? So you start looking at, okay, these are the teams that fit within this category. So Texas Southern, you have an 81 RPI. You're 0-13 against teams that have RPI of 1 through 50. But from 25 through 50, you're still 0-13, but you've lost by an average of 10 points. So Texas Southern, you can only play RPI teams, RPI teams that are between 25 and 50, 51 through 150. And then let's say uh, School X, you have a RPI of 350. We're looking at your analysis, and then we're going to put you in this category where you can only play 150 and above. And then the conference office needs to go – collect these deals to where, okay, you can still play a SEC school, but they need to be in this 150 category. And then we have all of these games and say, okay, Texas Southern, you're 351. Now we're going to set up a game with North Texas because that's your category and you can still make your money. And now your RPI, you lose the North Texas by 15 versus, you know, 50 playing Duke. And now you're not 351, you're 248. And once we get into conference, then the conference RPI raises. And then that top-tier team, kind of like the OVC did a couple of years and the league Wichita State came from, they started to analyze scheduling, making sure teams played in their proper category, raised the conference RPI, and then the top team, if you lost, you still could get an at-large bid. So that's the model. And I think now, that is, I work. mean, you said you said the discussion with Cable at – Alcorn. Is this something that's conference wide with all the athletic directors say, hey, look, what is our five year plan to get at least two teams in the tournament? It would have to be, and it would have to be led by the conference. So office. it hadn't happened to this point? No, we're just talking. I mean, Jason engaged the conversation. I gave him my thoughts. He came back with some data, and I said, you know, this is what I think. And we talked about getting teamed up with Dr. Kenyatta Cavell here at Texas Southern in the Sports Studies Program, allowing somebody to either do it as a dissertation or a research project or even as a class project, pulling all of the data, pulling all of the numbers, and then presenting it to the Southwestern Athletic Conference because it would have to be policy and all 10 presidents would have to buy into it. But if you could show where you can make your money and still raise your overall profile, I don't think anybody would be opposed to that. Now, is it hard? Would it be hard to get the kind of games that you wanted to get in this? I mean, if you make a policy to get those kind of, of games, because those schools may not see it beneficial for them to play a lower RPI school. Well, I tell you, if you are a 150 RPI school and you're paying for a game guarantee, you want to win. You're not gonna play Texas Southern. Texas Southern right now had difficulty scheduling games because we were winning those game guarantees. So if I'm a 150 RPI team and I'm putting up $75,000, $85,000 to play this game, I want Texas Southern that's a 348 to come in and play. I don't want Texas Southern as an 81 because I don't want to pay you $85,000 and lose. 
So I think just the sheer economics and the I need a bunch of wins. You look at some of the teams out there that play nothing but SWAC schools. I mean, and you can name the teams. Every SWAC school goes to – every SWAC school went to Baylor. I, I shouldn't say every SWAC school. They had five or six. Everybody played Baylor. It was night after night after night after night. What they are doing, they're getting the wins. They're strategically scheduling these teams. We can play a Texas Southern, right? If we lose to Texas Southern, it's not going to hurt us as bad because Texas Southern's RPI at the – we know they're coming in. And SEC and Big Twit, not SEC and uh, Big Ten, actually have some scheduling philosophies on the other end. They are now allowing them to play the three fifty ones because it's messing up their RPI. You can only play schools within in this within this category. Our suggestion is just doing it the opposite. There are plenty of schools that's one fifty through three fifty one that will pay the game guarantees, and you can still make your money. On the Houston show this morning, we talked a little bit about the play-in game. And you said something interesting about the matchup. If you can sort of uh, recap that and, and go into some of what we talked about this morning on the Houston show when it came to the play-in game this year. Yeah, we talked about our ability uh, to play North Carolina Central. First time two HBCU conferences have played. And it's kind of been this long-standing, unspoken, unwritten rule that two HBCUs are not supposed to play each other in the play-in game. And I had opportunity to speak to the chair of the men's basketball committee and the person, Joanne Scott, that's over Division One men's basketball uh, when we were in Dayton, Ohio. And I asked them the question. I said, did the committee struggle with putting the two teams together? And she said, yes, absolutely. And I said, take this back to the committee from one of the two schools that you made absolutely the right move. We had an overall losing record this year. Uh, North Carolina Central, if they didn't, they were very close. They were fifth in their league. So clearly we were 64 and 65 as it relates to all of the analytics to seed the teams. They were concerned about the public perception. And my response to them was one of these two schools are going to get that extra allotment for winning an NCAA tournament game, which equates to about a half a million dollars but one of these conferences. It allows that particular school to win a game, go to the second round, play again on that national stage, and bring all of the notoriety. And if you look at what happened to us, we beat Central, ended up on the Jimmy Fallon show, right? We got tons and tons of publicity. And even in that playing game, there's only one game going on. And then after that game, there's another game going on. So anybody that wants that, NCAA March Madness, that's the only show that you're able to watch. Everybody that watched basketball that day watched us. And then you were able to see us go on to play Xavier. So in my opinion, it wasn't about two black college conferences going against each other. It was a heck of an opportunity for Texas Southern to go against a basketball team that was similarly fitted, that was in the same category as each other. We knew one of us was going to win and advance on, and that was more than we could say for any other year when, let's say, we beat Michigan State, we beat Kansas State, uh, we should have beat New Mexico State, we lost to them, and we got all of these great accolades. Michigan State went on to the Final Four, and our reward for that, that year was an Arizona team that was ranked number one all the way through to the end, and they lost in the tournament. They got a two seed, right? So we like the opportunity to be able to play against teams that are similar to us, have an opportunity to win, 
and have an opportunity to move on. Now, I don't know if you can politically answer this, or, or maybe maybe you can, and I'll ask it and we'll take it from there. So a lot of fans feel, myth or not, that we get slighted. We HBCUs or smaller schools get slighted when it comes to, to officiating in the game. Is this something that, A, you can comment on, B, agree with or not agree with, or it's just one of those things, it's a sort of a human nature thing. I, what what can you say about that? Because, again, I know watching the game, and when we're homers in Chatterbox and I, and if you listen to him, Texas Southern hadn't committed a foul in five years. So yeah. it, which which yeah. is, I mean, that's my guy. He bleeds maroon and gray. But can you comment on that, and, and what's your perception of that if you can? Are we speaking in terms of tournament or regular season? Well, uh, both. Both. Well, well, let's. I, I'm thinking tournament, but let's let's talk about both. It, it, whatever you can comment on. Well, I think the tournament officiating is probably the best officiating that you're gonna be able to receive. Officials are human, and you you've had this argument on your podcast and on your show. You know, LeBron James or even Kobe Bryant, right? They're supposed to get the fouls. Uh, they are the superstars of the league, so. When you have the number two team in the nation playing the number 65th team in the nation, the number two team in the nation will probably get more of the benefit of the doubt because of the human nature of it. But in the tournament, the officiating is really, really good. right Now, some of the flow ebbs and flow of the game, but overall, I think where we get mixed up on is how the SEC officiates is a little bit different on how the Big 12 officiates, which is a lot different on how the SWAC officiates. So we kind of look at the officiating from a SWAC perspective, and you have to adjust based upon the league that you're in, right? So the rules change, but if you have a, you know, if you have two 610s, 275 pounds going at it down in the SEC and everybody has those every night, you let a little bit more physicality go. In the SWAT, we got a 7'2 that's at best 210 pounds, right? <laughs> and he's going up against that 6'8", 275. It might look like we're filing more or we're – and I think those are the things that we kind of get caught up in because we're used to seeing the SWAT play versus when you get at the big stage, the big dance, they're picking all of the best officials. Now, when we go and we play – Kansas at Kansas and they pay us $95,000. It is absolutely no way you can think that you're going to go in there and get all of the calls. And the one and two times that we have in one of those games, I can guarantee you there were some conversations in the back room and said, that one was a judgment call. That judgment call is supposed to go to me because I'm paying your salary. So you're asking me, does that happen? Yes, that happens all the time. And that's part of it. Now, a couple more things before we let you get out of here. Uh, of course, you interviewed for the SWAT commissioner's position. I want to get your overall take on the direction because, I, of course, I have an opinion. <laughs> I mean, I have an opinion about everything. But what direction, what are some of the imperatives for the conference moving forward? What are some of the things that need to happen on a conference level for this conference to continue to be successful moving forward? Well, First and foremost, I'm not the commissioner. You're not. Uh, this is just you're you're asking a question from Charles McClellan's athletic director's perspective from Texas Southern University. 
And I think first and foremost, we're going to have to get financially solvent. We've gone to the basketball tournament the four of the last five years. I think our distribution for going total of all four of those years has been somewhere around $35,000. The payout is one6 So we spent a lot of money to go. Uh, we have about $41,000 worth of expenses that we have to pay for, tickets, mandatory tickets. And not to get any redistribution is tough on us to continue to put dollars. You're in a conference to be able to get money. That's the reason why A&M left the Big 12 and went to the SEC, right? They wanted part of that 38, 39, $40 million distribution payout. But the way that you get financially solvent is by television. We have a very good ESPN deal, but we need a regional deal. So I think we need to also ensure that our conference schools have this APR thing down. Several of our schools are still suffering from APR. And just because you're out now, only thing it takes is one year, slip up, and you're back in. So I think And, that, and you kind of wrote the book on how to recover <laughs> from APR. I mean, we've right. talked about this before. You kind of wrote the book right. on how to manage a really dire situation right. and bring the program back. Yeah, as MJG and 8-Ball said in one of their songs, we were so down we were underground. That's, <laughs> that's pretty far down, right? So when you're that far down, you have to dig it up and you have to rebuild from scratch. Are there resources in the SWAC office to – help guide and direct these programs in that way? Are there, are there conference-wide mandates or benchmarks or the things that the conference sort of requires to sort of make sure that all of the schools get their act together right. in that way? Yes, there are some things that the conference office has and institute, but it's primarily the responsibility of the member institutions. Part of what I proposed six years ago was we have a guy by the name of Mike Maletta. So when we were going through our APR process, the NCAA sent somebody down to do our data review. They pulled all of our records, and they said, Texas Southern, you're one of the most egregious offenders ever. We had 129 student athletes over a course of three years, four years, that participated while ineligible. And they were ineligible because we did not properly certify them. Didn't mean that they didn't have the hours or the grades. We just didn't properly certify them. So they came down, and they beat me up thoroughly. The person that came down was a guy by the name of Mike Maletta. When he went back to the NCAA, I gave Mike Maletta a call and said, hey, since you beat me up, let me pay you to come down here and fix it. So the person that actually put us on probation from APR was the person that actually got us off of probation from APR. I suggested six years ago, you guys don't be like us. Let's hire a Mike Maletta and have him to go around to these 10 institutions and ensure that our stuff is in order. So when these data reviews come, that everything will be taken care of. So I think we can go that further and take that extra step to ensure that. Because in my opinion, it's not infractions. It's APR that's going to be the biggest challenge for these member institutions. Because, again, it doesn't go away. The only thing you need is one bad year. In the sport of basketball, if you have three people to flunk out, you're below the threshold, and now you're back on probation. Now, you talk about being financially solvent. One of my contentions is having SWAC move to a city like Houston and leave Birmingham. Is that any, I mean, I, again, whatever you can say, you can say, or is that any, any 
is that a consensus anywhere? Uh, is in, does anybody other than me think that? Uh, because I, I just think that you have to be based in a city, one the fourth largest city in the United States, a city with a, a multiple Fortune 500 companies where you can forge relationships that can be financially beneficial. You can do things in Houston. There are more resources here than there are in Birmingham. Is that been discussed, talked about, anybody in the back room saying that, any mention of that at all? Well, again, I haven't been in the back room, and I don't know the conversations. I do know by media reports that the city of Houston put a bid out uh, for the conference office to move, and it hasn't moved. I do recall, and I've been in the SWAC a long time. This is my 17th year as an athletics director. So I remember when it moved from New Orleans to Birmingham, Birmingham put a pretty significant package out. They gave us $300,000 a year. They gave us free rent. Then they gave some other money for a technology computer camp for the kids and got all of these tax breaks. I think through the years, a lot of those incentives have gone away. So I don't know what the conversation is in the back room amongst, you know, the presidents and that's who will ultimately make the decision, the presidents and the commissioner. I can't disagree that the money that's available, uh, the SWAC needs to go after. In my opinion, the SWAC office could be in Shanghai, China, if that's where the money is. <laughs> Nobody is going to the SWAC office to meet. The SWAC office needs to be in an area to where they can go out and pull in resources. If that's Birmingham, if that's Houston, if that's Shanghai, China, in my opinion, that's where the office needs to be. And movement on the SWAC championship game for football. Where is, is there any movement on that? Is there any possibility about, uh, again, continuing a ch- SWAC championship football game? Well, the SWAC championship football game has not gone away. We did vote uh, as a body to continue the SWAC championship football game. So but, that that will continue this year? Yeah, and the vote was to do it at the home institution campus that's the highest seed. There has been some discussion about let's see if somebody can come up with a deal to get a central stadium. But worst case scenario, we can go. If Texas Southern wins the West and we have the best record, then the game will be played at BBVA Compass or Prairie View or Grambling or Southern and the St. Jackson, you know, everybody on the other end. But you get into the debate, and this has always been a debate, and this debate has kind of evolved the championship game Seven-game, eight-game, nine-game schedule. So we've gone back and forth. I've been in the conference, again, 17 years. I've seen seven games twice, and I've seen nine games twice. The people that are for nine games says, I'm in a conference for a reason, and that's to play conference school. I have two game guarantees that I can play, or one guarantee and one game that we can issue as a game guarantee, or any combination. The seven-game schools are saying we want greater level of flexibility. I need more than two to be able to achieve my goal. In my humble opinion, I think eight games is the happy median. I guess if you go seven and nine and divide by two, you get eight. So it's not really, you know, you have to be a genius to figure out the math behind it. But it gives those schools that need those extra games three And then in certain years, you can play 12 games like that's coming up. And then for those schools that says two is enough, it gives you one more game that you can go out and get. Because ultimately what happens on the seven-game schedule is you have four games. The fan base doesn't want to see you play College of Faith four times. The coaches don't want to play LSU four times. 
And then you don't want two LSUs and two College of Faith. So then you start to say, well, that's not the answer. Then you go back to nine, and then they say, well, there's not enough for me to be able to play game guarantees and make the money and bring in my traditional rivalry. For example, like Jackson State is a good example. They play Tennessee State every year, so that would only leave Jackson State one game. And other schools are like that as well. So the eight game kind of gives you that flexibility. But if you have an eight game, you'll have one school that rotates off you still have the East and West division, and you could really just one have – one of the opposite yeah, teams just one will of the rotate off. Right. Okay. Correct. So it kind of builds that excitement for the championship game. That And that was one of the arguments of the seven-game schedule. It'll, it'll build more excitement. If you have nine games, you play everybody, you already know who the champion is. So that eight game allows you to have that still excitement because you don't play everybody but gives – that extra game to those teams that need the extra game. So I don't foresee the championship game going away. I just think we have to come up with a consistent, sustainable model in order for it to be proper. But yeah, because, again, I think it would be better here in Houston, a large market, easily accessible for fans from all over, a huge market where you have alumni from all member schools of the SWAT. Well, I would say this, and I would say this from a political standpoint not pointing out any city the only thing that i would say and this is the criticisms that i've had of all of our championships we need to get somewhere and build it we can't keep moving around every three or four years so wherever that is it needs to stay and we need to make a concerted effort in building it for example i think new orleans is an excellent place for the baseball tournament i enjoy going the family enjoys going mlb uh, urban academy does a great job I know some of the coaches have some issues with the field, and we're talking about changing. Well, let's get the issues with the field worked out. But let's build this thing in New Orleans because the crowds are there. People are excited. It's a good destination. It's a central location. So I just use that as an example. There are many opportunities out there. Let's choose the right one, and let's stay, and let's build it instead of bouncing around every three or four years. And you have to find a a really cooperative civic partner. Houston has proven to be such – and I know that firsthand from uh, the Houston uh, Harris County Sports Authority. Oliver Luck, way back in the beginning, was really, really in love with with the SWAC and with HBCU and with Texas Southern. So I know, and with Mayor Sylvester Turner, I know we have willing corporate partners civically from a civic stand. Uh, you know, here Houston, Houston is a sports town, and they're they're very proactive in trying to bring sports. To Houston, and that's a good thing for Houston. Final question for you, Dr. Charles McClellan. Any timetable has the SWAC given any indication on the timetable for when they will hire a commissioner? That's something that you have to ask the Southwestern <laughs> Athletic Conference. I'm not on that side, so I don't know. Well, you know, I, I want to say this before we let you get out of here. I have the utmost respect for you. You've always been a, a very big supporter of not only the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, but of KTSU Sports Talk, and you've always made yourself available and been more candid than I could ever have expected. So I certainly hope that that hadn't caused you any flack. No. <laughs> because I, you, you tell it like it is. I am who I am, so – I will continue to tell it like it is, I guess. But, you know, I've been very fortunate. I would say I love being here at Texas Southern University. It's not my intent to leave Texas Southern University. If somebody wants to throw, you know, enough resources at me to leave, I'm going to listen. But my intent is not ever to leave Texas Southern University, Devin, until y'all 
ready to get rid of. Hey, well, we certainly appreciate it. And, and again, congratulations on the new hire with Coach Johnny Jones. Looking forward to a, a great, great season, uh, a continuation of the great seasons you've had at Texas Southern University. No, appreciate it. We've had a good run. Like I said, 24 championships in the last five years. That's one-third of all championships in the history of TSU has been won in this era. And, you know, we are we have work to do with football. Football, you know, for everybody that's listening, I know you're down on us. I know you're a little disappointed in us. For those that are opposite of TSU, continue to stay down and overlook us. Those that are with TSU, I'm telling you we're working hard to get you a quality product. Football is the only one that's left, and it has our full weight and attention. And I promise you, we're going to get it to where it's supposed to be. And that's where every other program is competing for championships. Well, we, I certainly believe in you for one, and I'm sure uh, the TSU faithful do as well. With that, coming back on episode 62, we will have the Lamont Award. We'll have birthdays. And before I let go, you tuned in to one of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. Devin Wade podcast. Want to thank Dr. Charles McClellan. Had a great conversation, and that could go on for a while because I have so many questions. I mean, you talk about somebody responsible for a multi, multi million dollar budget. He is that dude. And to have him answer our questions is a very humbling thing. We, I, I get a chance to pick the brain of how he thinks because it gives us insight into how other athletic directors thing around the country and that's just a, a massive responsibility and a, a wonderful conversation and i always appreciate visiting with him but right now it is time for the lamont award i don't want to wish you no bad luck but i hope your ship sinks with no lifeboats and no life preserver and a school of piranhas surrounding you you big dummy and that is when we give the award out for someone who's done something really, really stupid each week. Now, I didn't intend for this segment to be a staple, but the people have spoken. They love the Lamont Award. <laughs> I've heard from multiple people how much, wow, that, that's their favorite thing, the Lamont Award, because Lamont is a big dummy. And if you're not familiar with Sanford and Son, which, come on, where have you been? What are you doing with your life? You need to go do that. You need to go get the box set. Uh, and I don't even mean streaming. I mean, go get the box set of Sanford and Son, at least the first four or five seasons. But our big dummy this week is soon to be former Carolina Panthers owner Jerry Richardson. He was fined this week $2.75 million by the NFL for sexual inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace, sexual harassment in the workplace, and a racial epithet towards an employee again he's far from the only one i'm sure that has gotten themselves into trouble we've heard it from donald sterling the former clippers owner 
but he sexually harassed his employees and which included something to the effect of um you know massaging a woman's legs and and asking us to see her rear end and all of these things have been investigated thoroughly by the NFL. He also called one of his uh his black employees an inappropriate name. And all of this was uh, came to light because of a Sports Illustrated article and some research and reporting that they have done. But on his way out, I kind of give uh, the Lamont Award to the NFL, too, because they're finding him $2.75 million. Well, let's do some math here. He bought the team, the Carolina Panthers, for two uh, around $206 million back, whatever, whenever he bought them. Sold that team for over $2 billion and you're finding him $2.7 million. I mean, I think that that sends a statement to other owners, so I do commend the NFL for that. $2.7 million, that's pocket change for Jerry Richardson. But Jerry Richardson being a perv and a racist and getting caught for doing it, for that reason, you are our Lamont Award recipient, and you are a big dummy. You big dummy. <laughs> Want to go to birthdays? This is where we highlight some sports birthdays, and I get a chance to say happy birthday to some people I know or some people you know. And I want to remind folks that they can, if you have somebody that's having a birthday and you want a shout out on the podcast, you certainly can do that. Hit me up on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group. And of course, uh, not just birthdays either, we can do accolades. I did that for uh, Lori Alexander last week, who got inducted into, or will be inducted into a uh, the Eastern Southeastern League Hall of Fame. So, if it's an accolade, birthday, anniversary, let us know when we will celebrate that. On uh, hit me up on Twitter at Wade's Word. It's all sorts of ways to get in touch with me, and we will, in fact, do that. But let's do some sports birthdays. Who do you have? We have the legend John Elway. John Elway won two Super Bowls, really on the back of Terrell Davis. But, no, he's a legendary quarterback, doing a great job. Brought Peyton to Denver as the, the president of uh, football operations and the GM. And he's doing a great job running the Denver Broncos organization. And uh, he gave our guy Wade Phillips his first Super Bowl ring. Happy birthday to Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Now let me tell you something about Mike Tyson. And, and maybe you're too young to really remember how what a vicious guy he was perceived to be no i know how vicious i remember yeah we you want to talk about joe jackson you gotta talk about oh, mike yeah. tyson well anyway, you know I, I just remember this about mike tyson he when he was doing all this stuff and threatening to eat people's children and all that my my old man would say look i could train mike tyson. well after he started to lose monday like look he just needs a different trainer you could train mike tyson that's it's easy he said all i need to train mike tyson is a baseball bat and a pistol you <laughs> see you give me those two things and I let him know if you step out of line, you're getting one or the other. And uh, I take him back to get his heavyweight championship. But Mike Tyson is a tremendously complex person, a very interesting person. Uh, really, you can say sympathetic. That's a thin line. But I think that he's certainly a flawed individual with several issues. He's had a lot of tragedies in his life. Uh, and I'm more of a Mike Tyson supporter than I was back in the day. Uh, because, again, he's been so candid and open about his his troubles and his struggles. At the same time, a bat and a pistol is not, not a bad way to deal with somebody <laughs> who is so tremendously unpredictable. Who else you got? Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. Let me ask you about Derek Jeter. I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here as a female. 
hot or not? Yeah, I find his stats incredibly hot. Oh, so he's not. He's not. <laughs> what is it? Why? What is that? I, why you it, have to it, ask me? I, I know, and that's something we normally don't do. I don't venture into that thing. The only reason why I'm a, I ask is because he was the Warren Beatty of baseball. Everybody was like, oh, you know, he because he's dated the the most what's perceived to be or what's considered to be some of the most beautiful women in the world. He's had models and actresses and all kind of stars well, in his past. Well, let me say this: if you took away his eyes and made them brown. Okay. I well, think it's the he eyes. He has to be a charismatic guy. Cause, I mean, Absolutely. I, and, that, and that's the only reason why I bring this up with Derek Jeter. Because he's supposed to be this, this, you know. I mean, now he's settled down. He's gotten married. And he's uh, set about ruining uh, the Marlins uh, franchise <laughs> in baseball. In which he's just much maligned for that. Maybe there's a silver line that he can turn that, organiza- that organization around. But right now, yeah, not so good for Derek Jeter. So, uh, and who else we have? And finally, we have the rifleman Chuck Person. Yeah, Chuck may be fa- he facing a little bit of jail time. I don't. I, 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 this is his birthday celebration. I'm happy birthday, your last free birthday. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm not. We'll have to get Kevin Allen to comment on uh, on that. I want to know because he he's keeping up with that. That's a part of the the college basketball scandal. So, uh, we'll have to see what happens with that. Also, personally, want to say happy birthday to LaShawn Penny Baines, one of the TFE folks. She had a birthday this week. We certainly appreciate her. And also, a lady who I thought would be my future mother-in-law, Miss Sheila Anderson Williams. Happy birthday to her. She had a birthday, and I, I know this because of social media, obviously. I, I'm not able to keep up with her and know her. But the backstory about that is I, uh, at one point, was really really in love as a 13 year old with her daughter 13 year old 14 year old 15 year old and i thought that she would be my mother-in-law and uh, her daughter beautiful daughter michelle uh she's since passed away but yeah i i said i don't know if she remember i'm sure that i'm she remembers me but i don't know how much she remembers how much i adored her daughter and i just knew yeah you know how they always say when you see your wife you'll know well, as a 12-year-old in Miss English's uh, English class in, at Persian Middle School, I knew that, that Michelle was going to be my wife. Didn't work out that way, but nonetheless, Miss <laughs> Sheila was always a tremendously nice and graceful and classy person and just a lovely family of, of uh, lovely young women. Her, her other daughter, Angela, uh, and of course, Michelle and her, just uh, wonderful, wonderful women. So I want to uh, wish Miss Sheila a very, very happy birthday. Any, anybody for you? Yeah, I've got one person. Uh, he has been p- blowing up on Instagram and on Twitter and all the social media pa- platforms about Plies. his... Who? Plies. No, you no. don't even know who Plies is. No. Uh, who, about his 35th birthday on Sunday. Happy birthday to Joe Palmer. I hope you're living it up, and you are, and you and your family are doing well. Well, that's it for birthday. So, happy birthday! Happy birthday! Everybody sing with me now. Happy birthday. Just for the birthday, people. With that, before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go, any final thoughts from you again? Yeah, so I I looked at my schedule, y'all, in advance, like a whole month in advance, and I wrote down dates that I'm going to be in the studio. I gave it to Devin, so I'm excited to spend my summer with y'all and talking about certain things, and uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I thought that, that was very, very good for you, I, for, for me. And I really appreciate it that. It was for you. However, that will not stop me from trying to convince you to come in on the days that you say you can't come in. So, <laughs> so, all you did was warn, warn me of when I need to ramp up the pressure on you to get you in studio. But we always enjoy having you here. And uh, how do you feel about Drake's new album, Scorpion? You know what? I listened to it on the way to the studio. All 25 tracks? No, no, I don't have that much time. But like, I listen to certain tracks. It's good. I like it. I everybody thought he took the big L to nah, uh, he push was, the T. He, he was waiting. He was waiting. But I, 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 my man Beeson said his career was over. But no, no sir. No, nah, it doesn't look like it. I mean, I've been hearing all good things on Twitter, but like I said on social media. And look, I want to welcome all the folks from KTSURadio.com. Thank you so much. You have to go back now if you're looking for a lot more sports content. You got to go listen to archived episodes. We have a lot of fun, but at the same time, we are able to talk about a variety of things. We're multifaceted here, but I want to encourage you guys to reach out. Also, about the music thing, if you have music. Please, if you have original music, we want to hear it. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, either Devin or myself. And we need your radio edits. We will play a bit of it during our little halftime break, and then we'll play the whole thing at the end. So please, we want your original music. Well, hey, with that, again, on Twitter, at Wade's Word, on Instagram, Sports Talk with D. Wade. How can I get to you? I'm at SoCali underscore S on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram, at SoCali, and I am on Snapchat, So.Cali. Hey, want to thank you guys. And again, on iTunes, tune in, SoundCloud, Google Play, and of course now on KTSURadio.com. Want to thank you guys so much. And uh, again, want to thank Dr. Charles McClellan and my man Biscuit for joining in. And as always, oh, and cannot forget about DJ Malone. Man, how much do we love DJ he Malone? Is, he's on fire. Well, DJ Malone's on fire. Well, we heard part of his mix. We'll hear the remainder of his mix on, on the way out. But want to thank my man DJ Malone and DJ Damon for putting us on DJ Malone, our in-house DJ. We certainly appreciate what he brings to the table. So, uh, like I said, with, now I can say with that, have a great day.
while me a stack till it pile up My money no so it my you money no like you need it Everybody's hanging. 